Hello, this is the Never Heard of It podcast. I am Sean Harwell. This is a show where we talk about the movies that have slipped through our cracks. Joined today, as always, by my co-host with the co-most. Say hello, Craig Moorhead. Um, yeah, bad news, Sean. Uh, this, this is Brian. Brian Crane. Hey, how are you? Ooh, I forgot about this. I forgot <laughs> yeah. about No, yeah. Brian, it's good to have you. Thank you for filling in for Craig. If you haven't listened to last month's episode about Dogfight, you should, because it was a really good movie. And uh, yeah, Craig's taking a month off. He's busy. So he says he's got a lot of work going on. So he says, eh, you know, we'll believe it when we see it. But in the meantime, Brian's joined us. Brian's done, what, two or three episodes with us already? I did uh, a Comfort of Strangers yep. and uh, Abound. Oh, that was a fun one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I, feel, I, I feel like that was it. But I probably had another one. I don't know. I just, I just kind of, I, I jump up on this thing. But anyway, I'm happy to to ruin your show today. So, so I'm, I'm excited. That's great. Yes. And uh, Brian is the sometimes co-host of another podcast called A Little Snack, which has a whole plethora of backup episodes and maybe, oh, man, maybe definitely. some new episodes coming down the pipe. Maybe. Hey, you know, you never know with these things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking sometime in in the 2020s. I think we'll definitely see oh, some um, episodes. Of I that. can't wait yeah. to hear what you guys have to say about Game of Thrones season four. <laughs> yeah, this is gonna be a good one. Yeah, we are a little behind on that, but uh, yeah, it should be good. Oh. But yeah, these these days our podcasts are, are are more over the phone than an unrecorded, but they're all still the same kind of goal that you. Oh, used okay. To. Yeah. You just set up a tape recorder beside the phone or something. It's very easy. I know. That's that's really all it would take, and it's just a lack of foresight on my part. Oh, it's okay. Honestly. Well, speaking of no foresight, eh, I don't really know how to make that transition work. But anyway, <laughs> if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe. Do it on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review if you can. It helps people find the show. And if you want to find all our social media links, please go to neverheardpodcast.com. Uh, you can listen to all the episodes there. We got posters from foreign markets. You can find an email if you want to make a suggestion. And like I said, you can find links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. And come say hello. Crane. Yes. We're in the month of June. You picked the movie we're going to talk about today, which I'm very excited about. Same. I don't think there's a real particular theme for this month, although maybe we'll see when these two things overlap. Uh, I'm excited to watch this movie and talk about it today. We're going to tee up as always. You're going to walk us through cast and crew, and then I'm going to take us behind the camera a little bit. First, I did want to mention a couple things of note to the show. One is the, I'm trying to think of, I think this was the first entirely, at least mainstream film produced in Jamaica by mostly Jamaicans, The Harder They Come from the 70s that we talked about last season, I believe. It's coming mm. out, they got a special edition coming on Blu-ray via Shout Factory in August. And then uh, and a very nice woman commented on our Instagram page about the Dennis Hopper film, Out of the Blue, which we talked about earlier this year. That is being restored right now with a 4K cut. They've got an Instagram page for the movie itself. Wow. So if you're a big Hopper completist, you're going to want to look for that. That's great. That's all I have to say about the business of the show. I do need to ask you, Brian. Yes. Always here to answer things. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I have a, a little um, uh, kind of minor head cold happening, but uh, I'm all I'm all uh, medicined up and uh, and feeling okay. I hope uh, you'll feel better. And thank any, you. Any any flubs tonight? We'll just blame on the cough syrup, right? 
Well, you should, or, or just me being super like uh, sleep deprived, but that's just, that's just the way it is. You got a four-year-old, that's how it is. That's life. But I, I know there's a, there's a strong tradition of you guys persevering through whatever illnesses you guys have, whether it's laryngitis or whatever. And it's like, it always, it always just happens. It always sounds fine. You guys always do it. So well, now you're making me think that maybe the podcast is actually to blame for the illnesses that we've. <laughs> yeah, it might be. And now we've passed it on to you. Like... Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Yes. There, there's a little cough there for you. Cool. Yeah, well, hey, you picked the movie The Keep from 1983. I'm going to give a log line real quick, and then I'm going to hear about why the hell you chose this movie briefly, and then we'll get into uh, it. Surely. This place was not built to keep anything out. This place was built to keep something in. You must not stay here. Something has been released. Something. Whatever kills us gets in anyway. Nothing we do, no security works. The Keep from Paramount Pictures. Uh, so from IMDb, they tell us that Nazis are forced to turn to a Jewish historian for help in battling the ancient demon they have inadvertently freed from its prison. I feel like it's always inadvertently. Like you don't just purposely want to release yeah. an ancient demon. No. <laughs> yeah. Ghostbusters. It's, it's not a thing yeah. you do. <laughs> That's right. That was an accident too. I, I feel, yeah. you know, like this is one of those movies where I saw the poster and I was like, yeah, I do kind of remember, you know, maybe that was on the VHS shelves in the stores back in the day. But Right. Beyond that, uh, how did this pop up on your radar as one that you wanted to watch and talk about here? I'm glad you asked, Sean. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, um, I just I pulled this it was, you know the book by F. Paul Wilson down off the shelf, and you know had this like really crazy kind of super 80s fied um, cover mm -hmm. of of a of a castle with sort of a glowing around a door or whatever. So, and as a kid, I really liked the book, and and I had seen bits of the movie. Like I, I there's been some time, some kind of you know afternoon years ago where it was it happened to be on. But what I only realized. Uh, I guess far more recently was that the this movie was actually directed by Michael Mann Crazy, right? of uh, uh yeah of Heat and uh, Miami Vice and a little movie called Manhunter maybe Thank yes Manhunter yes yeah. yes uh just you know an exceptional director and and uh, as I understood it this was kind of the black sheep of his filmography <laughs> Seems that way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it does seem that way, and and it does have some champions, but um, I, it just it just popped into my head, and uh, I, I kind of wanted to like, hey, it wouldn't be cool to to watch and talk about that movie again. So um, yeah, so I, I threw it over the fence, and here we awesome. are. Awesome, yeah. I mean, it's definitely in our wheelhouse when you got a big name director and not a ton of people talking about this movie, and uh, as I found out, some very prominent actors as well. So you want to walk us through who made this thing, sir? Absolutely. Um, and actually, the, another another point is, is just that it's it's actually somewhat similar to A Comfort of Strangers in that mm -hmm. you just have top tier talent just like all over this thing. And, and that was that was very similar to Comfort of Strangers, where you just had, you know, Harold Pinter and, uh, uh, you know, all, all these yeah. all these walking, really amazing yeah. creative types. Yeah, walking. Sure. Um, so with uh, with the keep uh, 1983 it was uh, like we talked about directed by Michael Mann this was one of his very earlier films so you know he had done a TV movie called Jericho Mile in 79 and then he kind of made a splash with thief yep. in 1981 with with James Cohn have you ever seen that by the way I have oh, not a good it is really good actually and it I watched it a couple years ago and it felt like it would hold up for quite a while oh wow that's, that's great one. Yeah, I do want to check that one out. Um, uh, and and so then his very next one after that, two years later, was The Keep, 
I, I think that it, it kind of stalled out um, uh, his his career and a number of others' uh, careers for a little while. I'm going to talk you know, about that's one that. Thing so, yeah. <laughs> okay. That happens, you know? Yeah. I mean, studios don't like uh, failure and they want to run from anybody who is associated with it. Man. So it's like there's kind of a jail time you got to go into. <laughs> and then he came back with a classic Manhunter in 86 and then um, – uh, he kind of did TV for a while. I think that's his, this is when he did uh, Miami Vice and kind of got a name for himself there. The first time I actually went to go see one of his movies in the theater as a you know regular movie going human was The Last of the Mohicans in '92, yeah. and then and after that he was just off to the races. I mean, Heat '95, Insider '99, Ali '2001, Collateral '2004. His last few um, have have not uh, fared quite as well. Miami Vice did was actually pretty good, and I think did okay. The movie. So I've seen it. Uh, it's it's worthwhile. Public Enemies in yeah. 2000, 2009, I uh, did not care for that. Yeah, one. I did see that one. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you, as I think most of the public was, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. And then and then finally Black Hat in uh, 2015, oh, and he right. hasn't made another yeah. uh, feature since then. So so he's one of the uh, the top tier talents that I was uh, talking about, the Triple T's, as they are called. <laughs> and so Gene Kirkwood was, uh, and, and Hawk Coach or Coke Jr., I guess, uh, K-O-C-H yeah. is his last name. I'm like sorry, did Coke you say Brothers. his first name is Hawk? Yeah, Hawk Coke. I, and I've never said it out loud until this moment, and, <laughs> and now and now I'm like, holy cow, that was his name. Yeah, that's a name right there. And, and then some movies he's Hawk Coke, and some movies he's Hawk Coke Jr. <laughs> the Frisco Kid in 79, uh, Idolmaker Gorky Park, Pope of Greenwich Village. Yeah. And then he, he did uh, Wayne's World as executive producer. Okay. And then he kind of went into, yeah, executive producing roles. Um, Gene Kirkwood was the main guy producer on Rocky. Wow. Also Gorky Park, Pope of Greenwich Village, Ironweed, and um, a, a nerdy 80s teen favorite UHF. Yes, of uh, course. 89. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The cinematography was by a young Mr. Alex Thompson, who sadly passed in 2007. Mm-hmm. Born in 1929, Jeez, but Louise. man, this, this, yeah, this dude has shot some stuff. I mean, Excalibur 81, Legend 85, Raw Deal 86, Labyrinth 86, High Spirits 88, Alien 3, Cliffhanger, Demolition Man, Scarlet Letter, and then Hamlet in 96 for, for Kenneth Brown. And I think a, that was his last yeah, major. That's a widely uh, varying degree of genres there. Oh, yeah. No I was like, I mean, he's, like just, the, he's like the fantasy guy. And then it was like, oh, Hamlet. No, I guess he's not. Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. So, so I was impressed to see a lot of those those movies show, show up yeah, there. That's awesome. Uh, John Box did the uh, production design. This guy was a major heavyweight. He had he's won four Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, he passed in two thousand and five. He was an older guy. He won four Oscars for Lawrence of Arabia, uh, Doctor Zhivago, Oliver, and uh, Nicholas and Alexandra. He was one of David Lean's main dudes for production design. Which I'm gonna say, like, just uh, not to judge. Yeah, it, from the little I know about the keep. It seems crazy <laughs> that <laughs> this guy, the, the Lawrence of Arabia production designer, would uh, right. Would fall I mean, this. it just, and I know you'll have more to say about this, but it just like goes to to this whole idea of like this movie was packaged by a studio. They're like, we we want to make something huge with this. We've got a great director. Yeah. We've got I mean, this book, this really popular book, and it's just like it just doesn't work. And it's like, why didn't it work? Yeah. And then um, lastly, the music uh, was a Tangerine Dream. Indeed. So, I mean, this the, the movie just sort of hit right. It's so many like key 80s kind of <laughs> hallmarks, yeah. you know, Tangerine Dream. You don't get more 80s than that. I was surprised that Tangerine Dream had done the music for Risky Business. I didn't realize that. They um, did do the score for yeah. Thief, I believe. 
Yeah, they did. And then after Legend uh, in 85, you really don't see any kind of major motion picture come up huh. again for them. They were cert- they, they've certainly been prolific. I mean, they've got, you go on Spotify and look at Tangerine Dream and you want to see some albums, man. That's a scroll, <laughs> that's a scroll bar right yeah, there. You sprain a finger scrolling through that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, actually they had some stuff in Asheville. They had like huh. a, they have a song called like Asheville Sunrise or something. Really? Okay. I got to go look yeah, into that. Yeah. I know. I think they've done some shows. Oh, no, that's just a hippie that's like lives downtown and his name is Tangerine <laughs> Dream. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I got mixed no up. Deal. That makes sense. It happens. So anyway, so that's that's the uh, that's the crew. Those are the people that made cool. it. And if you want to get wowed, get ready for the cast. I do want to get wowed. Yeah, it, it's they've got some uh, some all-stars here. Scott Glenn led the cast uh, playing a guy named Glacken. <laughs> <laughs> that also tells you I mean, a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's like, hey, Glacken, what's going on? Can you run to the store, Glacken? He kind of got his start in movies in with uh, Nashville, or Robert Altman's yeah, uh, Nashville in 75. Uh, he had a small role as a lieutenant. Well, I don't know if it was small. It's been a while since I've seen Apocalypse Now. He was in that playing Lieutenant Richard M. Colby. Actually, I'm thinking, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if he was in that scene with Harrison Ford. I believe on. so, and I believe that is a okay. small role. But what a what a cool a cool oh, scene man. to get yeah. into because that's some some guys in there. Urban Cowboy, I think, was was really the thing that kind of brought him up huh. to uh, kind of mainstream fame. I think he did that one with um, I want to say John Travolta. Yep. And then he did the right stuff and played Alan Shepard uh, also, and that also came out in eighty three. Then of course the Keep, where he played Glacken. <laughs> And then Silverado in '85, and then there was kind of a. Oh, actually, yeah, that's right. He played. He played originally the um, Creasy in the original Man on Fire. I, I forgot about that. Oh, I didn't even know there was an original Man on Fire. Yeah, there's an huh. original Man on Fire, and Scott Glenn playing the Denzel Washington role. Pretty what cool. Do you know? And then one of the best double features you'll ever see: uh, Hunt for Red October in '90, Silence of the Lambs '91, yeah. and then Backdraft, and also '91. Um, and then he kind of got into um, kind of even smaller uh, character roles. So you, you'd see him again in Absolute Power in 97. And of course, uh, what I thought a very memorable turn in Training Day in 01. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next actress is, is uh, she played uh, Ava Kuza. Uh, her name is Alberta Watson. And going through her filmography, I was... I was a little, a little surprised at the, you know, how I guess close she was to being sort of a viable leading lady in yeah. essence. 83, all the way to Spanking the Monkey, which uh-huh. was um, Russell, right? 94. Yeah, David O. Russell's like his big breakout uh, for Sundance. And she was she was the mom. Uh-huh. And it was just something something about that. It's like, oh, wait, the lady who was the ingenue in the keep <laughs> was also like the mom, like the hot mom in Spanking the Monkey. Like, how, like, I don't know, it just like yeah. it kind of messed with my sense of time. But she uh, she was mostly a Canadian actress, did a lot of Canadian movies, but she was on the, in The Sweet Hereafter. Hey, yeah, okay. Yeah, she she played Riza, and uh, and then yeah. that whole that whole crew won the National Board of Review Award for Best Acting by an Ensemble. Makes sense. It's a good movie. Yeah. The worst thing I learned about her is that she died in 2015. Yeah, real depressing. Dad, thanks. Uh, yeah, she was only 60 years Jeez. old. I mean, how Jeez. many? She could have done the keep two, you know, and and that's not going to work out because she she passed. I don't think there's going to um, be a keep two. <laughs> from what I've gathered, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Yet. No, you're you know, you're, you're probably there's right. so many movies I could have said they'll never make a sequel to that. They did, so <laughs> I'll take back what I said. Well, you know, maybe this the Michael Mann is he's had a he's had a change of heart about this movie, yeah. and you know, he wants to come back. I'm going to butcher his name, even though I I I know it. Jurgen Prochnow. That sounds pretty good because I was gonna I was gonna okay. pronounce the hard J and uh, so I would have been completely wrong. 
maybe a little got out over my skis on that one. I don't know, but um, he plays he plays Woerman. I don't know who that is yet. I'm looking forward to finding out. Anyway, uh, he, as everyone knows, was like the guy in Das yes. Boot in 1981. He did Das Boot in 81, Keep in 83, and then the very next year he did Dune, where he played uh, uh, Paul Leto Atreides, mm-hmm. Paul Atreides' dad, the classic role. And then, uh, and it's sort of funny seeing these because the, these these are the where I first getting acquainted with these guys. So I remember him very well from Beverly Hills Cop Two in '87. Okay which was one of my favorites at the time. I think he was the main bad guy, along with uh, Brigitte, Brigitte Nielsen, was like his henchman. Yeah, anyway. that's a power couple of baddies right there. <laughs> Super 80s stuff. Um, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me in 92, In the Mouth of Madness, 94. Looked like he was sort of fall, falling off the map, but he was, you know, this this guy does, I mean, he acts. I mean, he's in movies. Yeah. Like you, you, If it's a German movie, wherever someone wants him in a movie, he's there. That's a, a serious scroll bar type actor. English Patient in 96. All right. I haven't seen that movie since 96, so I don't recall him. But uh, Air Force One in 97. And um, and like Alberta Watson, did a whole season of 24. No kidding. That makes kind of a sense. Yeah. 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 You know, you just get like really kind of not very expensive, but very skilled and uh, you know, good actors. It's. Yeah, it's very capable actors. I guess now that we've kind of gotten through the main guys, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll quickly run through the last few. Uh, Robert Prosky plays Father Fonescu. Uh, I thought he was interesting because he played Mr. Lundy and Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> okay. I don't remember <laughs> Mr. Lundy, but... <laughs> Man, Miss, Mrs. Doubtfire, I was all about oh, that I'm movie. Sure when you I were, yeah. out, so I, I, I have so, so much of that memorized. But uh, uh, if you saw his face, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, because he's he's like... Christine, the natural broadcast news, Rudy, last action hero. He's in okay. all these things. Uh, Gabriel Byrne, of course, we all yes. know. Excalibur, where he made his big splash playing Uther Pendragon <laughs> in 81. Miller's Crossing in 90. I haven't heard about that one. Just Get kidding. your high hat. <laughs> cool World in 92, which is which is the first time I saw him in a movie. I saw that in the theater. Oh, I didn't realize he was in that. Yeah. Yeah, and you know he was playing the, uh, the sexy leading man in a movie with Brad Pitt. I'm like, what? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, Usual Suspects in 95. And then looking through it, I'm just like, boy, he didn't do a whole lot after 95. And then some boom, Hereditary in 19 and uh, 18, in 2018. Yeah. So the very the very recent horror movie. And then he did uh, a, a movie called Royal Deceit, hmm. which was another one that, that felt like this a little bit and that it had like a lot of big people um, attached and I've never heard of it. So uh, maybe a good candidate down the line for, uh, for future podcasts. And uh, very quickly, Ian McKellen is in this. As Dr. Theodore Cusa, uh, which now I'm realizing is probably related to um, the lady character, who is Ava Cusa. He, th- and this was, this shocked me, he was in Last Action Hero as well. Wow. He plays death. Like, uh, so huh. so what are you saying that? Now I have to go see Last Action yeah, Hero. I don't remember that whatsoever. Um, he's kind of one of those interesting, late bloomer is probably a wrong term to apply to him because he had such a long career in, in like British mm-hmm. theater and, and, and England for so long, but... He really didn't blow up until um, Gods and Monsters in '98, yep. and and he he was already a, a, a fairly old man, and and then at Pupil in '98, X Men playing Magneto in 2000, and then of course Lord of the Rings, and and that that's where he's he's sort of become a, a fairly legendary presence yeah. now. So I'm I'm excited to see one of these early roles from him in '83. Totally, and then. Uh, uh, William Morgan Shepard plays. Oh, I didn't get his Alexandru. Uh, Alexandru, okay. And he was an elephant man um, in, in 1980, and he had done a lot of TV. Uh, the last guy I'll talk about is uh, Wolf Collar. 
And this was this was fun because um, he it says on his IMDb page that he's um, often cast as Nazis because of his sort of blonde hair and physical build. Mm -hmm. He actually played like the when you think of Raiders of Lost Ark and you think of Nazis, you actually thinking of this guy. He's the guy that talked about like, you know, these Jewish rituals, I think was his line. Um, So just like this Uber, you know, kind of uh, awful guy. Um, he's in this playing another Nazi. Well, his name is Wolf. So right there, I mean, <laughs> come on. Right. Kind of, you're not getting, yeah, exactly. you know, the romantic lead uh, in a no, rom-com not with Wolf. if your name is Wolf. Sorry. No, no. And, and happily, he's been able to reprise, um, uh, even very recently, his role as a Nazi in Wonder Woman. <laughs> Good. Yeah, he was a German commander in Wonder right. Woman. So, um, But anyway, that's the uh, the cast and crew of the <laughs> Oh, I'm glad he's keeping that alive. Yeah, he's like the go-to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> he really is. He made a whole career out of it. That's, that's great. Cool. Well, I, you know, a lot of what I'm going to talk about here is, uh, you know, coming from the POV of what I think Michael Mann wanted this movie to be and then what happened. So let's <laughs> oh, get excellent. into it a little bit. Mann once described this movie as, quote, a fairy story for grown-ups. Fairy tales have the power of dreams from the outside. I decided to stylize the art direction and photography extensively, but use realistic characterization and dialogue. I don't know. I'm I'm curious about how that overlaps then with Nazis, you know? <laughs> uh, although <laughs> Pan's Labyrinth, you could argue, is a fairy tale with, with Nazis in it from Guillermo yeah. de Toro, so we'll sure. see. Fair point. This movie is also the first film that Michael Mann shot in the 2.35 to 1 Cinescope widescreen ratio. And he explained that it was, quote, important to him for two reasons with this movie. And one was because this is an expressionist movie that intends to sweep its audience away, be very big, to have them transport themselves into this dream reality so that they're in those landscapes, there with the characters. You can't sweep people away in 1 to 1.85 and mono. I'd argue maybe maybe there's movies that have done that maybe in that ratio. Yeah, I yeah. I, I think that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm just not interested in passive filmmaking and a film that's precious and small and where it's up to the audience to bring themselves to the movie. I want to bombard an audience, a very active, aggressive type of seduction. I want to manipulate an audience's feelings for the same reasons that composers write symphonies. I will say I feel like he's he's held true to to those like characteristics throughout his career a little bit, you know. Uh, oh yeah, completely. He's not making completely. precious small movies at all. No, he he does he does come right at you with with these. He things, does indeed uh, with these yeah. films. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you mentioned, yes, notable casting as the first American Hollywood film for both Ian McKellen and uh, Jurgen Prochnow. And Prochnow indeed got this role because uh, Mann had seen him and been impressed by his you know, acting in Das Boot. So the set, there's a main set of the keep, which perhaps is the actual keep itself, I'm not sure. But it was built in a disused, abandoned former slate quarry at mm. Glen Rowney. Now this is like, Craig would be loving this because I got all that. There's like Welsh <laughs> names here. Glen Rowney near Lanberis in North Wales. Some interiors were filmed at the natural inside the natural stonework of the Lechved Lechved Slate Caverns near the historic <laughs> mining town of Blano Fifistiniog in Gwynedd, Wales. Yeah. My apologies to the you know I do think we've had listeners from Wales before, so sorry. Well, I, th- I think they'll email in to just to say you know you nailed it, man. I, I, exactly. I expect that, please. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, Michael Mann said of the set, it's a black monumental structure that might have been built by a medieval Albert Speer. Does that name ring a bell to you at all? Uh, it doesn't. I Me either. Did, yeah. No. I was like, was that just a re- I don't know. I didn't even look it up. I'm like, I'm not going to, Michael Mann. Sorry. Yeah. Cool illusion. They started shooting in September of 1982 and it lasted for 13 weeks, which sounds fairly normal for a, a, a film. Yeah. But due to heavy rain, they suffered significant delays in the shooting schedule. So it was not supposed to be 13 weeks. And in fact, once they were finished after those 13 weeks, they did additional reshoots that brought the total production time up to 22 weeks. So that's uh, that's pretty extensive there. <laughs> Yeah, that's getting up there. Yeah, Uh, that's an extra nine weeks, if my math is correct. And uh, at that point, Paramount refused to pay for the big special effects showdown that Man had envisioned. Mm. I didn't read too heavily in it because I didn't want to spoil the ending for myself yet at this point. But I guess originally there was at least talk of a portal being involved and some 2001 Space Odyssey Stargate uh, trip experience type of effects. Oh, uh, that ain't going to happen. We're not going to see it because it didn't get filmed. Yeah. So now, now it's just a high five at the end. I hope it just ends with a freeze frame <laughs> high five. <laughs> Two weeks into post, visual effects supervisor Wally Vivers died. Whoa. Unfortunate for a lot of reasons. I think he had worked on perhaps Alien and Empire Strikes Back, if I'm not mistaken. But it oh, said man, that uh, no one had really been apprised of what he intended for the effects. So they mm. were kind of left fumbling around in the dark. And that's a quote. There uh, were about 260 effect shots that they had to do. Uh, there is a monster, the demon that we talked about a little bit in this movie. And that was conceptualized yeah. by uh, a French comic artist, actually, by the Uh-oh. name of Inky Balau. <laughs> that's, just, that's just how you pronounce it, man. Yeah, Inky Balau. <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's good people. But he was listed as actually an inspiration uh, on uh, Ridley Scott's Blade Runner for some of the design of that as well. Uh, but then has since become a director himself. And he made a movie oh. in 2004 called Immortal, which I think is a French film. And it's got uh, Charlotte Rampling in it, who is oh. a face people will recognize, but also is going to be in the reboot of Dune that's coming out very soon. So uh, there we oh. go. There's our Dune connection even more. Excellent. Okay, Excellent. so here's where it gets into trouble. Oh. Michael Mann's original cut of this movie was three and a half hours. And, uh, you know, Whoa. I don't I don't blanch at that because that's that could just be the rough assembly time, right? Sure. I don't worry about that. He was contractually obligated to deliver a two-hour cut. He turned in a two-hour mm-hmm. cut. They had a test screening. Didn't go well. And so Paramount uh-huh. then cut it down to 96 minutes against his wishes. Ooh. It said oh, that man. this resulted in many plot holes, continuity mistakes, very obvious jumps in the soundtrack and scenes and bad editing. Even the sound mixing could not be finished properly because of their interference, which is why every version of the movie suffers from bad sound design. There's supposedly stuff in the trailers and TV spots that never appeared in that final cut. Uh, there's alternate scenes as well. And it was supposed to be, yeah, a summer movie, um, as you would expect for maybe something of this, this ilk. Yeah, a big tentpole movie. Yeah, like, yeah, and it was supposed to come out June 3rd. And that got pushed to December 16th due to those problems and posts. Got a very limited release theatrically on December 16th. And I think it played at at the widest it played that I think. And it was just that weekend was 508 theaters, which I don't, you know, at the time may not be that big of, I mean, that's still pretty big probably. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not too bad a release, but still it's not, you know, probably not the biggest. It's not Jaws style. I, I don't think it stuck around too long. 
You'll yeah. be happy to hear that in Denmark, this movie was known as Satan's Borg. <laughs> I think you've you've hey. been to Denmark, right? I have. I have a couple yeah, times. Yeah. Did you ever run into Satan's Borg when you were there over there? Well, I mean, that's all anyone really wanted to talk about over there was Satan's Borg. So it was just like, have you seen or read Satan's yeah. Borg? And I was just like, I want, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. And they say, oh, in America, they call it the keep. Oh, and I'm like, oh, that's why. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's really why this came into yeah. my head. Because of that. Well, I got a tagline. I got two <laughs> taglines for you. And the first is just one of those like where they put an entire paragraph on the movie poster above the title. <laughs> okay. Oh, so it's yeah. not really those a, are the best a tag graph, maybe. Yeah. They were all drawn to the keep. The soldiers who brought mm. death, the father and daughter fighting for life, the people who have always feared it, and the one man who knows its secret, tonight they will all face the evil. Ooh. Right up your alley. Tagline number two, they found the fortress was built not to keep people out, but to keep something in. Makes sense. Mm. That's, that's yeah. better. That's better. That's better. And then of it course, turns out to be a gerbil. <laughs> and those things always do. Yeah, it doesn't you matter. That. Yeah, that's so true. And then of course, uh, you know, in the keep, no one can hear you scream, which I thought was a little, a little yeah. off, but it didn't quite work. You know, that yeah. tagline didn't show up in my research. That's funny. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. You're not looking at the same websites, I guess. I guess. Oh, that's sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's talk box office. Yes. So it opened that weekend in thirteenth place. Mm. Made over a million dollars. Do you do you want to take a stab at what was number one the weekend of December sixteenth, nineteen eighty three? Oh, nineteen eighty three. Uh, in that time. Oh, in in December, the weekend of December sixteenth. Yes, I'm gonna go with um, out of Africa. No, that was no, nineteen eighty five. No, of course, know. it was Sudden Impact, the Dirty Harry sequel starring Clint Eastwood. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, I never. I, I know, I, me either. But that's gonna reappear here. The movie uh-huh. went on to make four point two million dollars, and the budget I saw quoted was estimated to be around six million budget. So not, you know, a total fiasco. Yeah, it's not a total loss. It's not like you know Heaven's Gate or anything. That's good. but that was only good enough for one hundredth and eighth place that year. So they would have liked to done better, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, now, here's it. something I found kind of fascinating. It's 108th on the year. Would you believe that in the genre of World War II-related films, that's actually good enough for 42nd place, $4 million? No kidding. How many freaking movies yeah. about WW2 have been made? I guess so many right. of them came before you know they started having huge box office receipts. But still, I was very surprised by that. So it's, it's a top 50 war movie of all time. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I mean, it actually makes me think like, like what a fun party game that would be. Just like name 50 World War II movies off the top of your head. And oh, it's like, I feel like I get to 10 pretty fast, but then maybe after that, it might get a little I hard. don't know. I think you could if like, you know, there, there's a movie like, like Dogfight is essentially a, a Vietnam movie with like two seconds of Vietnam. You know, there's, I bet there's movies oh, yeah. that traipse in that world without being necessarily a war quote unquote film. But anyway, sure. Uh, number one was Saving Private Ryan in case anybody was wondering. Let's do the top 10 real quick. Do you want to take a stab at, at what was number one that year? I think you, this is obviously, uh, I mean, this is a movie you know very, very well. Uh, I think Empire, was it Return Return of the Jedi ding, came ding, out? Ding, ding, you got Maybe. it. You hear oh, that, Craig? Yes. He got it. Uh, <laughs> yes. 200 and, uh, yeah, 252 million for Return of the Jedi, um, which seems small wow. by now, you know, comparison now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, uh, the rest of the top 10 was Terms of Endearment, Flash Dance, Trading Places, War Games, which I was surprised to see that high. 
Octopussy, mm, yeah. Sudden Impact, as we mentioned, Staying Alive, Mr. Mom, and Risky Business. Oh, man, there's so many classics Oh, in it there. gets better. Also that year, and just outside of the top 10, was uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, Superman 3. Uh, then you got The Big Chill, mm. Jaws 3D, Scarface, Yentl, Silkwood, Psycho 2, Porky's 2, The Twilight Zone film, The Outsiders, The Right Stuff. This I mentioned because I wonder if you knew this as a Stephen King fan, Cujo, mm. Christine, uh-huh. and The Dead Zone. All 83? All 83, and with, they were within four spots of one another on the year end. Like, all made right around 20 to $21 million that year. No yeah. kidding. That's amazing. Not a bad year for Stephen King. No, he did okay. You got A Christmas Story, Max Dugan Returns, which we've talked about, Valley Girl, Kroll, Zelig, Strange Brew, Tender Mercies, Fanny and Alexander, Star 80, Amityville 3D, I guess it's a big year for 3D, Smokey and the Bandit 3, did not do well. Uh, <laughs> the Hunger, Eddie and the Cruisers, The King of Comedy, Rumblefish, The Evil Dead, Videodrome, Screwballs, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, Koyanaskazi, The Pirates of Penzance, and the last one I wanted to mention was a movie called Puberty Blues, which <laughs> wow. I don't know what that is. That was dead last, I, I don't, imagine. It wasn't dead last, quite dead last. It was near the back end. What number was the right stuff? I would have thought right stuff would have been in the top ten. No, how... it was it was quite a bit down actually. Yeah, I mean it it ma- oh, it really? was ahead of Cujo and Christine, so it probably made within the like twenty three twenty five million range. That's so interesting. I I, I remember that being um, from from my memory as a kid. Like, I know that was right? something that was playing like a big deal, but I, I guess uh, not, not as successful so as Porky's two actually. So there you go. Well, you know you can't beat Porky's two. Do you know the best picture winner that year from the Oscars? Oh, um, it was in the top 10. I'll give you a hint. Oh man, I should have been paying attention. No, I'm just kidding. I was paying attention to it. <laughs> and it's not staying alive. <laughs> no, it's, oh, it's so uh, Terms of Endurance. Very much so. Uh, that one, Best Picture, Best Director for James L. Brooks. Shirley MacLaine picked up Best Actress from that film. Jack Nicholson yeah. got a Best Supporting Actor win for that movie oh, as great. well. And they also got Best Adapted Screenplay. So. That's, that was a monster. Yeah, at least year. five there. Uh, Robert Duvall won Best Actor for Tender Mercies. Linda Hunt won Best Supporting Actress for The Year of Living Dangerously, in which, and this was an Oscar Ooh. first, she actually played a man in that movie. Uh, I remember, yeah. And that was a Mel Gibson movie, as I recall. Um, Fanny and Alexander won Best Foreign Film for Ingmar Bergman. And here was a fun mm. fact from the Oscars. Gordon Willis, esteemed yeah. cinematographer, got his first ever nomination for cinematography that year which means he did not get one for godfather one he did not get one for godfather two nor did he get one for woody allen's manhattan which seems criminal and instead he got one for zelig which if you've ever seen zelig is like a mockumentary i don't i I can't believe (laughs) that's what he got nominated for and uh Yes, yeah, it's, it's not a it's not a clinic in cinematography no. by this And track. he lost yeah. to uh, Sven Nyqvist for Fanny Alexander. And mm. uh, guess how many nominations the Keep got? Um, I'm guessing it's under two. It's so <laughs> maybe and above negative two. <laughs> oh, poor the Keep. But it did get nominated Crane yeah. for best horror film at the Saturn Awards. So oh. you know. Oh, so not nothing. Not nothing. And so in those circles, maybe, yeah, maybe the genre folks are holding it in high esteem because it did not get fantastic reviews from the mainstream film reviewers. Gene Siskel did not like the soundtrack specifically. Mm. He found it overwhelming and said, quote, stay away from the keep. One of the most... (laughs) 
one of the most inaudible movies ever made. Mm. Oh, sure, you can look at the pictures, but without the dialogue, it's going to be most difficult to figure out what's going on. Was that Gene Siskel or Gene Shallot? That was Siskel, actually. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, so please tell me you have something from Gene Shallot. I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to look next time. Oh, man. But uh, Michael Nordine of the LA Weekly said, The Keep can't always keep its many moving parts in lockstep. What with its hinted at mythos that obscures more than it elucidates and its cast of enigmatic characters whose precise dealings with one another are never made entirely clear. Hmm. However, he did praise the direction saying it showed man's rare ability to elevate ostensibly schlocky material into something dark and majestic. Mm. Susie Eisenhuth of the Sydney Morning Herald said the movie was visually spectacular and mesmerizing from the opening moment. So mm. it, it at least clicked in Australia. I agree. Uh, you mentioned the author of the novel, F. Paul Wilson. Yes. Well, Brian, he didn't care for the movie too much. <laughs> and uh, I bet. In the short story collection called The Barons, he wrote that, quote, it is visually intriguing, but otherwise utterly incomprehensible. He then additionally wrote a short story called Cuts, in which a writer puts a voodoo curse on a director who has mangled his work. <laughs> and uh, if that's not enough, he also, I think, oversaw a graphic novel adaptation of his book, mm. which he says he created, quote, because I consider this visual presentation of the keep my version of the movie, mm -hmm. what could have been, what should have been. Yeah. Quote. Okay. Yeah, that, sound, that sounds right. Yeah, that happens. You know, that happens with adaptations. Sure. Uh, even the good ones. I saw in more than one place that Michael Mann for a period wanted nothing to do with this movie. Mm -hmm. But I think that's turned a little bit. And maybe that was just rumored to begin with. But in 2009, he did an interview and he said that the production design and the form of the film were in better shape than the content. And he really likes it for those aspects. Okay. He was asked in 2016 in an interview whether he ever had plans to re-release the film. And he said, quote, no, we were never able to figure out how we were to combine all these components that were shot pre-blue and green screen. That one's going to stay in its dot, dot, dot. And then Wikipedia said, at which point man trailed off. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like, come on, man. Like he couldn't say that one's going to stay in its uh, keep, yeah. right? Right? I mean, right. I don't know if he was making a little joke for the audience or not. Anyway. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. This movie, I mean, there is some cult status around this movie, apparently. And I think this could be one of the reasons why is that it basically disappeared from home video. So it, it was out on Laserdisc and VHS, and then it didn't show up on, not even on DVD, and apparently until 2017. No kidding. Yes. And they, the big reason why, apparently, was that the studio had to renegotiate the rights of the soundtrack from Tangerine Dream and never were able to or it was going to cost too much. Oh, wow. I saw one thing that said that the version that is available digitally does not have the original soundtrack on it. I saw another one that said that that's not necessarily the case. I think it popped up on Netflix in the UK and Ireland, and that one had this, the Tangerine Dream soundtrack attached to it. So I'm crossing my fingers that we're going to get the right one. Yeah, I can't um, imagine like just stripping out the music. That would, that would be, that would, like, why would you even bother? You know, I, It's so stupid. I can't believe those things happen. Yeah, no kidding. But yeah, it's got its fans. There was a, a Kickstarter campaign for a documentary about the making of called A World War II Fairy Tale, The Making of Michael Mann's The Keep. Mm. And it's supposedly getting a release later this year. Oh, exciting. According to IMD. So yeah, we'll keep our eyes peeled for that. And lastly, Brian. 
Yes. You know, I like to try to find something that happened the day of release that's like notable in the world. I didn't really find anything, but oh. I thought this was interesting. Okay. And this makes me wonder if this is one of those deals, like, you know, like this, the, the mythology of those first Star Wars toys where that they got turned down by, you know, the Hasbros and I think Mattels of the world mm-hmm. because they weren't going into production on these toys before the movie came out and didn't understand. But Kenner was there to, to, to say yes. Right. There was a board game made of this, you know, based on this movie, designed by James D. Griffin and published by Mayfair Games in 1983. So I don't know. I wonder if that was one of those things like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. We'll make a board game. This movie. <laughs> and then, and then I don't know. Out. I got to get on eBay and see if that, that board game is for sale somewhere. I'm sure it probably is. That would be amazing. Yes. But that's all I got Definitely seems like there's some rich history of this movie. I'm excited to see it. Same. It is available to rent or purchase digitally in kind of the usual suspects of Amazon, iTunes, Google Play. YouTube's got it. You haven't watched it yet, have you? I have not. I've been okay. I've been waiting. I, I, I want to come at it fresh, you know. I think I recall seeing that it is at least an HD transfer of it and not the DVD thing that's floating around, but we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. Hopefully it looks okay. Yeah, that'd be great um, if it looks good. Yeah, hopefully people listening will go check it out and come back next time and we'll deep dive. Into the keep, yes. Excitement. And we might not get out. No, I, don't, I, I expect we won't. So this, we may not get a recording out of it. So this may be the last one. <laughs> okay. Well, I was going to ask you if you, well, I should definitely ask you then. Do you have any like Any, like, any parting words, parting words? Yeah. yeah, before we descend into the keep? Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I guess uh, just good luck and, um, you know. Should we bring snacks? Yeah, we should. Oh, we okay. should. Um, maybe some milk duds, I think, I think would be most suitable for the keep. Well, I can't top that. All right. <laughs> we'll talk next time. Bye, y'all. Bye.